we're back on our podcast, A Gray Area, and today I'm here with Polly and a special guest, Oscar. Um, we're going to be talking about um, our previous gray, epi- gray Area episodes, and we're going to be talking about the arguments that we made over the past few episodes. Um, we're going to be contesting, well, mainly Oscar, contesting some of the things, or agreeing with us critically, thinking about what we've said in the past, um, getting more into depth with this kind of thing. That's what we're about here. We want to, you know, be critical and, yeah, kind of challenge ourselves the best for our ability. But firstly, our special guest, please introduce yourself briefly. Tell the audience, our listeners, who you are. Thanks for the welcome. I'm Oscar. I'm uh, the vice president of VSA Groningen. I've known Polly for a while, so I've been listening to the podcast religiously. I don't think I've missed an episode yet. And I think how this happened is that I sometimes send some questions about a podcast to Polly or things I disagreed about. And then she somehow convinced me to come on to fight you two on your opinions because that's that somehow happens. And I'm happy <laughs> that, you, that you accepted the challenge. Yes, of course. Like I'm too competitive to uh, turn that down. <laughs> Thank you for introducing yourself and giving us a background story on how this came to be, how you came to challenge us today. Um, so, one of the things that we did to prepare for this episode was ask you guys some questions on Instagram, collect some data um, about the last few episodes that we did, and we asked you some yes and no questions, we gave you guys the space to comment, to reply to our stories, just give us your thoughts and opinions, a critical discussion about, yeah, our episodes. One of the first questions that we asked on Instagram was, why do we have to change the way that we speak or sugarcoat what we say when we talk about veganism? when that is not necessary in other social justice movements. 49% of you say that you actually do change the way that you speak. So it's a very close tie between changing the way you speak and not changing the way we speak. Oscar, what is your critical view of this? You posed this question to us and wondered why we should do this. So let us know your feelings about this. Um, Yeah, I think in the episode you said that you sugarcoat it more when you talk about veganism, when you don't really do that when you talk about other social justice issues like racism, you're not gonna say like sugarcoat it too much or be like try to hide the facts in some way. You're more straight on or like with feminism, I don't know, these kind of things. And I thought just, I think we do do that in other movements as well. But like, I just think that if you talk about something like, let's say I talk about racism with older people, like I have some older conservative friends, like family members. If I talk about racism or like in the Netherlands, it's all about Zorata Peter or something like saying something I don't really believe, but I do go into that conversation differently. And I don't go in with like Zorata Peter's racist. Like I'm not going in with that straight ahead because I know that closes them off. They go on the defense. So I try to be tactical in a way. And I think I do the exact same thing with veganism, not that I lie or, but I don't always give my full straight on opinion, like I could share them with certain people. It's interesting because I I thought that your point was that we shouldn't sugarcoat when we talk about veganism and your point is the exact opposite. Yeah, I just think that, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, sometimes I think we should, I think sugarcoat is just maybe almost by definition makes it a bad thing. But I think it's good to alter our speech to like to the person we're talking to. So I use different words and I use different arguments when I talk to my conservative or libertarian friends than when I talk to my 
hyper liberal progressive university friends don't think that's a bad thing i think that my approach is a bit different that when i talk about other social justice uh, movements i'm more direct in a sense that i call it what it is but when i talk uh, about veganism i know that more people are a part of that kind of oppression so mm -hmm. when you talk about racism with racist people of course they are on the oppressive uh, side but the majority or at least i hope that the majority of the world knows that racism is a bad thing but with veganism it's like almost everyone is complicit in this oppression so i alter my way of speaking more often and it's more visible but i'm curious what nadia thinks about it. It's really interesting that we're talking about this because I'm a political science student. We talk a lot about how, you know, politicians convey their message to people. And of course, when you see campaigns and stuff, there are even differences in campaigns, like the rhetoric they say to the, you know, the, the people of color, for example, are different when they speak to their, you know, conservative followers, they speak, you know, a little bit different. They tailor the way they convey their message based on the, the population they're conveying it to. I'm being general, that's not the case for all nations, by the way, I'm not going to get too much into the politics of it. But the point is, we do this often, we do kind of all the way we speak to reach that population that we're talking about. Um, I think the concern with sugarcoating to say is that sometimes it can seem that you're downplaying the atrocities and the horrors that happen in industry by sugarcoating it. And by not sugarcoating racism, for example, it shows that you recognize the, the horrors of racism. And I think that's the issue here. By sugarcoating, it's, so to say, implying that you're downplaying it, which is interesting because we as vegans are not trying to downplay anything. It's more about effective communication more than anything. And I think that's the concern we're really talking about here. If I can quote, uh, or at least attempt to quote uh, Tobias Leonard, he um, made a comment this week on his Facebook. If you don't follow him, I strongly recommend it. And he said that sometimes when we, he didn't say specifically sugarcoating, but when we, for instance, talk about veganism and don't mention the animals, it doesn't mean that we're not helping the animals directly. That you can take a different approach in the way you speak about veganism, but it doesn't mean that when you don't mention the animals, you're not helping the animals. Right. There's something about the word sugarcoat that's just, I, I, I just don't think vegans do that that much. Like if they do it like they sugarcoat it and actually make it sound less bad than it is, like that's bad. I, I don't think that should be done, but I don't think that happens that much. But do you think that vegans should say that meat is murder and, you know? Mm, that's difficult. That sort of came to what you said in the other things about extreme arguments. Um, I think it really depends on the person you're speaking to. And my personal experience is that it's quite difficult because sometimes very hard-hitting comparisons or things do help. And sometimes people do say, oh shit, it is murder. And then, okay, maybe that hits better than very tiny facts or, hey, this is good for your health. Like sometimes maybe people need to just hear, hey, it's this bad. I think a lot of people shut down and you won't be able to convince them if you start with that. And if you just say it like that, like just, hey, meat is murder. If you come in and that's your first sentence, of course, that's, <laughs> that's not very useful, I think. And I think Polly and I talked about this in the specific episode, that it's all about effective communication because you're more inclined to get a positive response if you start with a positive 
way of framing what you're communicating. It's not that you're downplaying the reality. It's about how am I going to get this person on the receiving end to really understand without being bothered by my words. It's about reducing the chances of the person, you know, nitpicking on the kinds of words that I use so that they can actually hear the real message that I'm trying to convey. You don't want them to get lost in, oh, but he said murder. Uh, I'm not happy with this. And then they completely lose the message. The point is for them to hear the message and not be covered by all the things they could be bothered by. And I think it's not sugarcoating, but it's just about the knowledge of communication. It's about how much you actually care about reaching that person. If you just want to say the message for what it is, by all means, meat is murder. I think we all, to an extent, understand what meat is. We don't need to say that from the rooftops, though. There's a certain way of communicating things so that people actually hear my message. And I think that's the difference. And I think that's why it's such a close call in the polls, because it's, it's, yeah, it's a thin line here. Some people think, okay, it is what it is, and I'm going to say it like that. And other people are more about, I want this other person to receive my message. I mean, there's no right or wrong. It's just, what do you care about? Do you care about just saying it? Or do you care about effectively communicating, having someone receive your message? So um, it's really interesting that we, yeah, we reviewed that actually, it's, it's, it's a good one. <laughs> I think for some people, when you look back at the question about sugarcoating, I think for some people that would already be sugarcoating. Like, why not call it murder? It is murder. Isn't that what someone would say? Like, why do we call it something else than what it is? Or yeah. why, or why even like, maybe, probably, maybe if you go like Leonard's way and say, even don't say it, like not saying that that's not the case, but just making a different argument. Like, why leave that out when that's, for most people, so important? Like, that's the key reason why people are vegan and you're not saying it. Like, I think for a lot of people, they would say, well, that, that is sugarcoating. Yes, I, I understand that it can be perceived as sugarcoating, but I think what our, even our followers uh, or the audience mentioned that they just don't want to scare people off. And even though we can use the those terms to describe the situation that is happening, but at the same time, if the effect is that the people are just shocked in a sense that they are unable to listen afterwards, I think that just calling it a murder for the sake of calling it a murder does nothing beneficial for the animals or for the vegan movement. So why would you do it? And I'm, I'm just like saying it if that's the case, that it scares the person away, why would you do it? Um, I think that ties really well into the next question that we talked about, which is, do you think non-vegans will actually steer away from veganism because of extreme arguments? And from a certain perspective, one could infer that saying meat is murder, quote unquote, is an extreme way of you know communicating something. I'm not of that belief, but let's classify a statement like that under extreme arguments, let's say. Will that actually steer non-vegans away? Perhaps, because they've been, people have been, all of us, to a certain extent, have been hidden from the reality, the truth, and people still live in this cognitive dissonance for so long in their lives. When you come and you show it in their face, meat is murder, it's going to steer them away, because you're telling them something that they are you know, this is, I mean, find our other episodes, you'll hear us talk about cognitive dissonance, so I'm not going to explain what it means, but it, inevitably it will steer them away. It's something that someone might not be ready to face when they're walking down the street and people are telling them that meat is murder. So that's why I personally think that 
we have to think critically about how we communicate things and what kind of result we want to get. But I do feel that sometimes when you say what it truly is, it's going to have that shock factor and it might wake up something within someone and the next day they might think about it even more. I don't know. What do you think? To know if that's effective, you almost have to know the person you're speaking to, which is quite difficult, especially if you do things like street outreach. I'd say it's usually less effective, so I would steer away from it. But if you know someone and you know they're more open or like responsive to those kind of arguments, I like some friends I know, I don't have to be wishy-washy and go around the point. They prefer if I just make the point directly and that's what hits harder. But I'm, yeah, I think in general, those kind of arguments, um, I would leave them for at least later in the uh, in the conversation. And I think this gets us to the other question that we asked and that, do you think it's morally wrong or insensitive to compare the animal industry to slavery or Holocaust when you were not part of the group that was affected by it? And actually 76% of, of the people who voted uh, voted for yes, it is morally wrong or insensitive. Uh, so w- what are your thoughts, Oscar? Um, yeah, well, I, I think it's not completely related to the last point because I think for efficacy-related reasons, it might be smart not to um, use the argument, just as meat is murder might not be a useful phrase to use. But I think with both of those things, I don't see how it is like insensitive or something you shouldn't say. Like, okay, I say I don't get it. In some way, I get it. I get the people that say it. I get why they get emotional when they hear it. But I think objectively, that's just a misunderstanding from their side of the person using it. Um, Because I think the comparison between how we use animals right now and slavery and the Holocaust when we assume the Jewish Holocaust and slavery of black people in Europe and America, then like those things are horrible, but that's not something that gets diminished or downplayed at all because it's animal activists making the point. Like people who devote their life to this insane horror that keeps, that takes place now. Like it doesn't downplay those. It just shows how big of a problem the animal industry is and how we treat them. Like I think it's just a misunderstanding that it's downplaying this other thing. You make an interesting point because I think sometimes people have a concern with those comparisons because um, it seems like you're downplaying the human atrocity that you're referring to, the human horror that we're referring to, that we're comparing the animal industry to. But I think my biggest concern with doing this is that sometimes certain activists are not in the position to make such a comparison to um, an ancestral and historical um, trauma to that of and the animal industry. Um, and by that, I mean that I would feel uncomfortable if a certain activist were to explain, to, if I was a non-vegan, would explain to me that the animal industry is like slavery in America, like in the cotton fields or something, I would be appalled. I would say, in what position are you to describe my ancestral, you know, trauma or those of my greater family, um, you know, to describe this current, this current industrial issue? I understand what comparison is being made, but I think it's insensitive to speak on something that is traumatic 
to that individual. And that's my problem. And I think it links back to the first point, which is that for every different person, you have to be careful about how you communicate things. And throwing around such big traumatic experiences to get your point across is like, at what cost do you want to get your point across with? And that's my question. I, I think that when people are using the terms the animal holocaust, they're kind of taking away something from what happened and trying to like get the negative connotation from that specific situation to the vegan movement so more people can like feel the outrage and i just i get that people want to make comparisons and i i not denying that there are not certain parallels but i i think that i i just don't think we're in the at least i don't feel like i'm in the position to make these comparisons and these arguments especially because we live in a world where everyone even vegans sometimes are still Uh, perceiving the world through the speciesistic lenses and when you are saying that this is what happened to humans and it's the same that is happening now to the animals people are perceiving animals as something less than humans and they are they think that you are kind of insulting them and comparing them to animals at least that's the feeling that i'm getting from this kind of conversation that also plays a factor why people don't want to hear these arguments Um, okay, it's quite a lot there. Um, I think um, I get why people react badly. I'll fight one thing first is that that it's not effective because I think it is quite an effective way, uh, uh, an effective uh, comparison for quite a lot of people. I've heard several people that did change their minds or at least nudged in the right direction after hearing a Holocaust or slavery comparison. I think it's different than the meat is murder one. It's an actual, it takes more the shape of an argument than meat is murder. Um, I also think that I get it. Like, okay, disclaimer, white man, I know ancestral trauma, but there are things to compare. And like a comparison is not a direct comparison. Like humans can suffer and be abused in different ways than animals can. So it won't be exactly the same. Like coming close to his trauma but in the same way like there are a lot of things that are the same and even though I don't have that trauma I think that like I do know history to like fairly well like when you look at the numbers like the suffering like numbers wise like nothing comes close to animals of course like it's just, and they are literally being enslaved like we're enslaving animals it's a word that accurately describes what's hap- what we're doing to them and like giving up that word entirely like i'm not sure if that's something i would do yeah and i agree with you i don't think we should omit the word enslaved because i, I if you feel that it suits the scenario go for it but i feel like there are other ways of making those comparisons or painting a, a picture of what's actually happening than comparing it to an an actual event that actually occurred i don't know if You understand yeah. what I mean? No, for example, like slavery in general and black slavery in America. Exactly. So, for example, I could say if I was to be an activist on the street, for example, instead of saying um, it's just like the Holocaust or it is exactly the Holocaust, I would prefer to say something like, um, imagine if, you know, some man took your child when you first gave birth. I'm relating it to that person that I'm talking to, a fictional event per se, 
that has not occurred do you understand like i'm yeah. i'm relating it to that person and not a historical event that has caused pain over generations but instead painting a specific picture about one specific thing and i know that i'm less inclined to i'm less likely to offend that person because of it i think that's a more effective way of painting that picture than relating it to something so painful that's just my idea <laughs> i get that i i but i do think like there's God, well, like one of the speakers that was at Visa Rotterdam a while ago was this guy, was a, it's a philosophy guy, I think Alex something, Cosmic Skeptic, that guy. He has like this video that I watched when we thought of inviting him as well, just to see what his content was like. And there's a video about him comparing it to slavery, like animal slavery, and he makes direct comparisons. There's a lot of comments in there that this was the video that changed. And I think like, a hypothetical scenario isn't as convincing or as real as this thing that everyone knows. Like everyone has a picture of slavery when we talk about the slavery that actually happened. But don't you think that like if I would be talking to you and would be putting you in that imaginary scenario that you could actually relate to that because you can imagine yourself in that situation? You know, like people have imagination, they can you know, put themselves in that and be like, okay, I wouldn't like this situation, so why am I doing it to the animals? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that you don't have to use the slavery argument. There's like a hundred different arguments you can make. I'm just say saying that there is value to the slavery argument. Like, I think there's like the value of an argument is like on a spectrum. And I think it might be quite high up there to convince certain people. What people actually said uh, to the reply, because this was kind of like the favorite, not favorite, but most answered question. People were saying that it either completely depends on how you say it and who are you talking to. And that most of the time, this kind of argument or comparison, whatever you call it, is taken out of context so that the context matters. And some people were saying that, no, it should be always possible to make these comparisons because then a person who wasn't affected by I don't want to say anything, but by certain uh, situations that they cannot then talk about sensitive topics. And I kind of understand this point of view. It just, for instance, when I read the book, uh, The Eternal Treblinka, it's by a Holocaust survivor and he's talking about animal holocaust. And because it was from someone who was a survivor of holocaust, I accepted that uh, comparisons like way more than if it would be from a 16 year old or you know friend of mine you know what i mean so but i just wanted to mention that people have different opinions and just because we are here three of us maybe agreeing disagreeing doesn't mean that we represent everyone absolutely i think that it's it's a discussion that has a huge spectrum there's so many different arguments about this and i think that the main question that we initially posed which is is it morally wrong not about is it effective or not because i think we know that it, it has a great shock factor and therefore will inevitably be effective in any way but is it correct for me to do that or for you to do that for example and that's the that's the real gray area here is it morally correct for someone who's not experienced that trauma and experienced that event to go and compare the animal industry to that trauma. And I think for me personally, this links back to our psychology episode again, that if you've 
if you've experienced such traumas, if you've experienced this ancestral, these ancestral events over time, perhaps someone coming up to you and saying, hey, the animal industry is like the Holocaust, it's going to trigger you or offend you or anything of the sort. But feel free to DM us <laughs> about that and uh, give us your further opinion because it's a huge, like it's a huge topic. It's, it's ginormous. And I find it really interesting because it's, it's, it's yeah, morality is a, is a spectrum, I think, when it comes to these kind of things. So one of the other questions that we had was, should all environmentalists be vegan? And I liked that we had this episode quite a while ago. And I want to know what your opinion is, Oscar, about this episode. Maybe it's an idea to link it to one of the other ones you did. It's, it was about, is it necessary to be 100% vegan? And both of those podcasts I listened to, I was thinking that, okay, um, like for the, okay, first of all, my answer to that, should all environmentalists be vegan? I think everyone should be vegan if they can and have the resources to. So environmentalists, especially, I don't really care if they're environmentalists. Like just for the sake of if they should be vegan or not. Yes. And I think it's fine to point out moral inconsistency, but immediately when I, I, I just think those discussions are very often not productive and going on turn into gatekeeping uh, discussions about ah, should be vegan like uh, or no you're not an environmentalist because you're not vegan or you're not 100% vegan because you don't do this thing or you did this thing once that was bad uh, just to be specific the question that we asked on instagram was can a person identify as an environmentalist even though they are not vegan and the second question was if a, uh, if there's a scientist who devotes his or her whole life to to the environment and protection of nature and is not vegan can they consider themselves as an environmentalist that, that were the two questions that we asked and the first one about like a regular person 53 percent of, of people said yes that they can consider themselves as environmentalist and the question about the scientist 65 percent said yes i expected a bigger difference but that's that's what yeah. the poll showed. I think that's surprising how high, what, like, what I expected. That's what I expected. But I think that's such a high percentage of people who think that you can't be an environmentalist without being vegan. Like, first of all, it's just labels, so who cares? Uh, but I think people are interested in calling themselves vegan or calling people other people certain labels. I think it's, com yeah, completely useless. Um, but, like, for example, there's people that devoted their lives to the environment. What's a guy, David Attenborough, for example. If that guy is not an environmentalist, I don't know who is. Like, just because he's not vegan, he's like, if he's not an environmentalist and I'm like the human embodiment of shell or something, like <laughs> what, like, that, that, that makes no sense to me. Like, you can be that and not be perfectly morally consistent. It helps, it's good for the environment, but it's not the best thing for the environment in the first place, maybe on like a personal decision, like on the consumer level, maybe it is, but there's other things that are way more impactful than what one individual does. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would almost just outrightly reject the question, but <laughs> <laughs> that's my position. So it's interesting that you make this point about David Attenborough, because I remember when he made Instagram, there was a huge like outrage per se by the vegan community about his claims, because I think he made a video or a movie or something that he mentioned 
um, the animal industry, I think, some reference to that, and he did not downplay it as much as we would have liked. Let's just put it that way. And it came into question about, you know, his credibility. I mean, how can you be an environmentalist and advocate for something like this, or at least not even play it down, you know? The thing is that I think I changed my opinion since recording that episode. I'm I'm now taking a course called Climate Crisis, and I'm learning about, like, how complex the issue is you know like i always knew it's kind of like a serious and complex issue but i believe that being vegan is the most you can do and i still believe that because it's a huge part of our carbon footprint but it's such a complex issue requiring so many solutions and so many experts and just because someone is not vegan and really like does other stuff that are so important as well in that complex issue i wouldn't say like oh you're you're not an environmentalist because you you're not fully vegan or so i think it changed my opinion since then but we got very interesting answers about this people said that as an environmentalist your first focus needs to be going plant-based simple or yes but not one that practices what he preaches very well unless there's a medical reason. But if he, to the question about the scientist, the person said, okay, maybe yes, after all, the person can consider themselves as an environmentalist. But I feel there, there was a big misser. What do you guys think about it? I feel like for one, like if I'm not a scientist, I cannot fully tell someone you're not environmentalist. Because at the end of the day, the scientists, in my view, are the ones who truly know what based on science that is what is the most environmentally you know friendly and the most this is the strategy we need to do to yeah to to achieve the goals that we want so i'm not ever going to go around pointing fingers at people saying you're not an environmentalist anyways because to me it's not my place i want the scientists to be like hey what are you doing here you can't just be eating meat and i want them to do that but um so it goes back to what you were saying about labels by the way oscar um, but I think that it does come across a little bit hypocritical in a way because environmentalists know that the animal industry contributes so much to the degradation of the planet. You know, for them to not speak about how horrific it is, it makes me question a little bit. Like, why are you not talking about that? Like, why are you focusing on sustainable fishing? <laughs> you know, I think. If you're just in it for environmental reasons, I really don't think you have to come to veganism at all. It's the best maybe, but like what's by far the worst is lamb and beef production. After that, cheese is pretty close, but when you look at how much damages the environment, it's already like half of lamb or beef. And then like some dairy products aren't really that bad. And like when you look at like 2% milk or yogurt or something, or when you go down to eggs or chicken, that's... You can eat those things if you want to be a consistent uh, environmentalist, if that's all you care about. So first of all, I think you don't have to be a perfect human just to call yourself an environmentalist. And you can do a lot in research. And even if you don't do it in research, you can go on the streets and do activism in that area. And you can I don't know, donate money to effective charities. I, I just don't think it's really uh, related. I'm not sure if I made it clear, but... Yeah, I really agree with you and I wish we would disagree more. <laughs> but I, I really agree because 
for instance, I'm trying to reduce my plastic consumption, but maybe from like just the point of from environmentalistic point, I'm more about the reduction than complete zero waste lifestyle. So if an environmentalist is, for instance, eating more plant-based food, but is not fully vegan, it's the same kind of perspective. Like if you don't care about animal rights and animal well-being, but just about the environment. So it's good that we're revisiting this episode because I actually changed my opinion. <laughs> That's a good point. I think I'm happy that we finally found like a topic that we, you know, are changing a little bit of our minds about because some of them I'm still like, no, this is my view and this changed. But this one we're 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 doing quite well on it. So the next topic that we found that we want to discuss is about conspiracy theories. Polly and I love talking about this topic um, in our free time. Um, but one of the things that are interesting to us is that vegans are, we hypothesize that vegans might be more prone to being conspiracy theorists. What do you think, Oscar, about our views? Because I think you disagree, and I'd love to know why. Okay, yeah, I, I think I disagree. I, you said that vegans are more prone to be conspiracy theorists. Um, to be honest, lately, reading on Facebook groups about vaccination, maybe you're right there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of people against it also for animal welfare reasons but also for a lot of i don't know cookie reasons i'd say i just think that if you look at what who are conspiracy theories in general are usually people that are not really high educated i think usually a bit older than the average average vegan like i just think the group that is mostly vegan all those characteristics female high educated young like those all make it less likely that you're a conspiracy theory just based on the data i think maybe what i got from your point is that there's like a distrust of big companies and big government that that's maybe leads to okay if this is so bad in animal farming and there's these lobbyists and there's politicians being bought by meat companies then what else is going wrong there then and i i can see that going down a rabbit hole but i just don't think there's super much evidence for vegans being more prone i think just based on the general vegan being these things that i just mentioned it's probably likely that they're less likely to be conspiracy Theories. You know, it really depends on, on the circle you are in. With Nadia, I think we have just a bad circle. <laughs> but um, no shade to anyone. <laughs> um, but uh, only 33% of people said that they have some vegans in their circle that is like more prone to believing conspiracy theories. But it also, I think, depends if you consider certain stuff as a conspiracy theory, because if you believe it, you don't think it's a conspiracy theory, of course. But I, I get your point, Oscar, that maybe the groups are not like to such a great extent uh, in intersected. But I, I just see it in my circle that, that the vegans who don't trust the government because of big pharma and the bad dairy and meat industry uh, trying to kill everyone, that they are just believing other stuff too. I agree, Polly. I think that it also has to do with your circle, of course. But I also notice like on YouTube and stuff and also on Instagram, some influencers that I'll come across. And on top of being vegan and, you know, of course, dis having a great distrust for the government and, and for big companies, etc., that line of thinking, like as you mentioned, Oscar, goes down 
a train of thought. Okay, I don't trust medicine, so X, Y, and Z. I don't trust the government. They always lied to us, so X, Y, and Z. So I'm not saying, the hypothesis is not that if you're a vegan, you're probably a conspiracy theorist. It's more that the line of thinking, the inquiry that vegans come in with, that you know, we might have been lied to our whole lives about what's actually healthy and what's actually going on behind closed doors may lead to the train of thought that everything else might be too. Because a conspiracy theory at the end of the day is, you know, let's just say an extreme uh, way of distrust and finding horrific things are being hidden from us that should be the truth, that everyone should know. And in a way, veganism is based on that too. There was There's a huge atrocity behind closed doors that a lot of us didn't know, at least for me, I didn't know that's actually what was going on. And now it's been revealed. It's kind of the same in a way. Um, I don't know if you see my line of thinking, but yeah. Yeah, I see your line of thinking. Um, maybe, but I don't know. Uh, I think just that in some way you can construct a very similar narrative that's just as well not like proven, but vegans might, because they come to this conclusion that goes against what has been taught, maybe they're more likely to be critical thinkers and better at like responding to certain arguments and that makes them less likely to believe in conspiracy theories. I just think that people are very prone to believe in conspiracy theories. Like I, I know a bunch, like that's, they're, they're all over the place. If you see people on the streets now with Corona, like, I don't know, 5G, whatever, like it's all out there. Like they're all over the place and people in your family believe in them. People like even at a high level at a university, I'm always surprised that there's so many people that believe in crazy stuff. And I, and apparently it's totally viable. These people can be super smart and good scientists and still believe in stuff that I, that makes no sense, literally no sense. But yeah, I, I ju just don't think there's any reason to believe that vegans are more prone to be conspiracy theorists. I hope you're right. <laughs> I think the point, which now I agree with you, I think everyone can be a conspiracy theorist. Now I just think that everyone can be, doesn't matter if you're vegan or not vegan. <laughs> you can probably be susceptible to conspiracy theories and that's just that. So I hope it's not a vegan you got to be vegan to be conspiracy theorists, but everyone has an equal chance of believing weird stuff. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Maybe one last thing I would like to say on that is that, like, it's not always bad to believe in conspiracy theories. Like, there are some that are, like, <laughs> legit conspiracy theories. And sometimes, like, there are lobbyists. There is money in politics. There is people that make decisions and say stuff, and then it turns out afterwards that they're literally being paid to say such things like sometimes our governments make it very easy to believe in those things and not to trust them and like there, sometimes there's just good reasons to believe in them and like i get their reasoning sometimes i think sometimes we're too fast i thought in your episode you're also too fast to call some things a conspiracy theory in like in like clearly a bad way like i'm not super sympathetic to them but i'm also I wouldn't want to put the blame with them. And I also don't think, I think a lot of people call things a conspiracy theory just to put it down. That's crazy corner. And I do that sometimes myself as well, but. Yeah, but the thing, the purpose of the episode wasn't to blame people and call them. No, no. It was just more about uh, asking the question if veganism, like the vegan movement has some people who believe in conspiracy theories, but I also have the understanding that if people don't trust the government, it's not their fault. It's probably what's happening in the world, why they 
feel that distrust and it also depends on what kind of information you see first i remember believing several conspiracy theories because that was the only information i got and i remember that i turned i don't know very late and i was i don't know 17 18 and i was like oh my god this is what actually happened the whole life i believed this and that so uh, i we were not blaming anyone it was just sometimes it's sad to see some vegans who because veganism it's it's really based on emotions also on science and and making the world a better place and then seeing the conspiracy theories circle kind of infiltrating and not putting a good like image of the vegan movement out there it's kind of sometimes it makes me sad so that's why we chose the the episode right no I, it makes me sad as well but it's <laughs> i i just don't think it's really a vegan problem but maybe i just need to move in your circles more often <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> so um good topic i really like that topic I, I I could sit for hours talking about conspiracy theorists. I think it's a fascinating phenomenon. Same. But <laughs> another topic that um, we'd love to ask you about, Oscar, and what your thoughts were, is the is it necessary to be a hundred percent vegan, and why um, why is your view on the definition of veganism uh, suboptimal? Why do you why do you have challenges and concerns about it? And actually, I, I would like to start with just reading the definition out loud so our listeners know it. And it was actually extended. So I don't know, Oscar, if you were referring to the old version or the update. Oh, Jesus. I don't keep up with this stuff, but yeah. <laughs> so I will read it out loud. Veganism is a philosophy and a way of living which seeks to exclude as far as is possible and practicable all forms of exploitation of and cruelty to animals for food, clothing, or any other purpose, and by extension, promotes the development and use of animal-free alternatives for the benefit of animals, humans, and the environment. In dietary terms, it denotes the practice of dispensing with all products derived wholly or partially from animals. So that's the newest updated version. Okay. That went a bit too fast for me to completely get it, but... I think what I, when I look back at this point, I sent this point to you that I don't like the definition of the vegan society. I was thinking about it. I, I just wrote, don't like the definition. The first time I hear it, um, I think it's like needlessly difficult, but I also don't really care too much about what the definition is. For me, it's just vegan is you don't eat or consume any animal products. That's as easy as it is for me. If you add the thing like as good as possible, you make it quite vague. But yeah, I, I'm not sure if this is a point I disagree with as much now, because I don't know what a better definition would be, because I see why they add it, but. I, I I like this definition and actually only 6% of people voted that they don't like this definition. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I just, why is it so important that you call yourself a vegan? And let's say, like, if someone's in a difficult position, like, well, the, I've never met someone in one, but people in a food, food desert that really can't be vegan because there's no fresh vegetables or something like what if what's wrong with them just not being vegan then being vegan for them is just not the moral baseline there's nothing wrong with them not being vegan in that situation but i don't think definition has to encapsulate those people into veganism as well you, i don't see the need to say oh we want 
them to be in our group as well. And we want to be able to call them vegan as well. But imagine that you are a vegan in a privileged uh, situation and you're fully vegan. And then you go on holidays for, I don't know, six months where veganism is super difficult. Like the situation that you mentioned. And I think it would be damageable for the person to be like, okay, I'm no longer vegan. Because when you detach that from your identity, you're more likely to start eating more and more animal products, I think. Um, I think that we used this definition because we wanted to, we wanted to actually, I think we actually argued in the episode that there doesn't need to be a fixation on being 100% vegan. There needs to be, you know, a desire to do the best that you can with the means that you have. And that's why we use the definition. That's why we kept referring back to it because we wanted essentially our listeners as well to know that there are going to be times, maybe not you specifically, uh, but there will be people and there will be times where it's going to be impossible or it feels impossible or is physically not possible for medically impossible. And we don't want those people to think that they're out of our quote unquote club now just because they weren't able to be 100% vegan because 100% vegan is not about being 100% perfect. It's about doing everything that you can within your scope of capabilities. And I think that's why we use that definition because we liked it so much is about how practical it is for you, not about, you know, going to the ends of the earth able to do it. Um, and although that's how I live by, you know, I, I know that I have the means, I know that I can. And personally for me, there's not been any excuse not to be a vegan. So I, you know, I am hundred percent vegan, but for others, that's not the case. And I'm not telling them they should get out of my club now. I always say club when we're on this, this, this podcast, but <laughs> yeah, you get my point. Um, that's why we liked it so much, I think. And I'm glad that only 6% said they didn't like it. So <laughs> um, that actually kind of ties in with another question we asked the listeners on Instagram, which is, do you think it's okay to advocate for eating less meat or like meatless days as opposed to a completely vegan or meat-free diet? Because our how far are we okay with people, you know, having meat-free days as opposed to just being completely meat-free? Is there an important scale in your opinion? Um, is someone less, you know, I don't like to say good or bad because for me it's not, but just to make it in simple terms, is it less good if you only have five days a week meat-free? What's your view on that? Because I think 88% of the, the viewers think that it's okay. It's fine if you just have meat-free days and you're not vegan ever, basically. What's your take on that, Oscar? They think it's okay for the animal advocate, or for the activist to make that argument or try to convince people or for the person to eat meat. For advocating for meatless days and... and... Oh, okay. Yeah, because I think there's still a moral problem if people don't uh, still consume meat on other days. So I think if you make that argument, you only do it because you feel like it's a good move in the argument to convince people to reduce their animal product intake. And if that's the case and it does help, then of course, that's good. I do it all the time as well. If I talk to someone and they really say, God, I'm convinced by veganism, but Jesus, I love mayonnaise so much. Well, then Jesus, for now, everything but mayonnaise off the table. Let's try that for a time. Like, that, that's fine. I don't think that's a problem. And I think also if you really feel like some people are struggling or they see that this is too big a step because very often it is perceived as a way too big a thing for people, then maybe like 
try it out and see what you think and then if you say try it out and try it out like every other day like i don't see any problem with that yeah i i agree i think it's perfectly fine to advocate for that if you know the person you know needs to have baby steps that's the whole point in the end of the day an activist's job is to help get that person go home and do something different that day and if that means one day a week vegan as opposed to seven that's a win in my eyes at least they did something different because of your advocacy and i think that's great and not doing that and saying well you only did one day and not seven so you know screw you <laughs> like that's not going to help the person and i'd rather have you know seven people doing one day a week than everyone going home from my advocacy saying screw that vegan girl she just she just asked me to be vegan seven days a week. I, of course, would love everyone to be seven days a week, 24-7, all days of the year vegan. But I don't think it's wrong for someone to advocate baby steps first. That's my view. I, I completely agree with you both. But to um, voice someone else's opinion that is different, we got a reply from... Um our listener they said that for the environment they understand this kind of argument like okay reduce reduce but not for the ethical perspective and the thing is that i i understand because what they said that if it helps the environment but the animal will be dead not like partially dead or you know the animal will be still still dead but then i asked that uh, listener if you know many people reduce their consumption it will also result in less animals being killed what i got as a reply is that the comparisons to other social uh, movements that you know we don't advocate for being a racist just three times a week and so why do we do it with the animals that yeah so that was the the reply and what i found very interesting was that some people were also mentioning that you know i understand if you're disabled or terminally sick or allergic to soy and wheat and everything that you're not fully vegan but i i think and this might be controversial i don't know that there are other excuses for not being vegan that for instance if i would be a mother of two with uh i don't know two or three jobs and like a single mother and i i wouldn't have the capacity to think about veganism the climate change and you know, putting the mental energy to making sure that what I'm buying is vegan. And I kind of take it as an also like valid excuse. What do you guys think? I think if it's a valid excuse, I'm not sure, because I think in most cases, that's more like a perceived hurdle than like it not being possible at all. Like there are single moms with kids that are vegan. There's disabled people that are vegan. Like it's possible, but just from the lens of the activists, from like our perspective, we just have to be interested in how we communicate and how we can best convince these people because apparently to that mom that is a serious hurdle so we have to alter our language and i agree with the person who was against our position that why is it okay to murder animals three days a week like that's that's bullshit that, that's a difficult thing to make peace with but if we want to convince some people like what we want is to free as many animals uh, decrease as much animal suffering and sometimes these messages these in-between steps are just achieving that better than going for full abolitionist messages yeah it's just the middle step we're not fighting for a world 
where people are eating less meat. We are all fighting for a world where people are not eating animals. It's just yeah. about perspective how we will get there. Making one step there away maybe is that I do think it's important that if you say these things, don't that you don't make it seem or explicitly say that it's okay to still eat meat, like which is quite difficult, I think. But it should be in some way not that you say, oh yeah, it's okay, just do it three days a week. I understand, and I think that again, as you said, as activists, we have to just work on communication like i think being an activist encompasses so many skills and communication is one of them you have to be very you know you have to be very skilled in that manner and we're going to be facing different kinds of individuals with different kinds of hurdles to, to overcome different kinds of struggles they'll face there will be a single mom with two kids there's going to be a person who's allergic to soy or a girl who's allergic to all kinds of nuts like my job or your job is to to be able to communicate and help them work on that so that they can ultimately be vegan if that means at first three days a week then let's work with that i'd take that first than anything than than them walking away saying you know what never mind and that i think we always talk about this in our in our episodes and our podcast we always end on it as well is that we say like we believe that our message is to be compassionate to animals, but also to the person we're communicating it to um, as much as possible, because we believe that that is how we're going to get through to that person and how they'll see compassion towards animals as well. If I show you compassion, knowing that you have struggles, etc., I believe that you're gonna connect with me and actually go home and change your mind about something. You might buy a soy milk instead of dairy milk because I was compassionate towards you. And that's why we always try on, on these episodes to, to communicate in a compassionate way and see all perspectives and you know play devil's advocate sometimes to actually really go into the mind of the other person and, and see what it's like and ultimately get them to, to change their mind. Maybe someone's gonna to listen to this episode today and think, you know what? I might buy soy milk tonight. You never know. And it's because we were compassionate and we weren't just like, oh, screw you. You know, we don't want to be those, we don't want to be that kind of person in any regard. Not, I don't like to call them extreme vegans or whatever. That's not what I'm comparing to. I just mean I want to be compassionate and I want us all to be compassionate individuals to others and to animals. So thank you so much for being on this episode today. And it's a great way that I ended because we always end the podcast by saying, be kind, be compassionate. Thank you for listening to our episode today. If you have any more questions, please ask them. And we're always here to hear you out. Um, peace, love, and check out our Instagrams, the VSA Herningen and also Amsterdam and all of us. We're a big club of compassion. So peace out and see you in the next one.